Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Hey, good morning, Connect Church. Listen, that last song right there, it gets to you, don't it? Just, just this much, right? And the joy that we get to have today to not only shout the name of Jesus, but to, to sing the name of Jesus, to speak the name of Jesus, to preach the name of Jesus. Man, this is why we gather together on Sunday mornings like this. Can we thank our team for leading out this morning? It's such a good job. Hey, welcome to Connect Church, where it is our heartbeat to connect everyone to the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're visiting today, we are so honored. I've got a brother over here in the back that I got to meet just before this service. He's blind, but he sees better than most Christians I've met and he took an Uber to get here this morning after listening to last week. He said, man, i got to come worship today. Can we welcome Rick this morning? Honored to have you, buddy. And so many others who are visiting, we are so grateful that you are here. As we begin today's message, I want us to dive right into what is one of the most divisive, one of the strongest debates in our community at this time of year, especially in this season. And really, it all circles around this stuff right here. Y'all know what this is? Candy corn. Hey, let's just do this real quick. How many of you guys love candy corn? Can you raise your hand? I'm going to need you to leave. I, 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 I don't understand it. It's been fun while it lasted. Right? Okay, look. Now, let me, let me see all the believers. Who hates candy corn? Let me see you. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> hey, I, I, I am with you guys. I just found some really cool uh, things online. There's two types of people in the room. You ready? Maybe this is you. And on the sixth day, God created candy corn. And if that's you, something's wrong and broken. Here we go. Uh, there's a, I love candy corn, and I don't care who knows it, but this is probably more me, and that is candy corn's the devil, okay? And so we just see uh, two different things. I love this. This, pro- this meme probably sums up the debate and really the winning side, and that is I taste like sadness. Isn't that true? I just... I taste like sadness. Now listen, I don't ever bring politics into um, my sermon much, uh, but today I, I found a meme that just really is perfect. Watch this right here. Make Halloween candy great again with candy corn. That's a little Donald Trump. Anyway, you just, isn't that cute right there? <laughs> hey, let, listen, let, let me tell you how we make candy corn great again. Let me just settle the debate. How is it that you eat candy corn? What you do... You open the bag, pour it in the garbage, and get a Reese's peanut butter cup, all right? Just so you know, that, Anthony, what does that have to do with the sermon? Nothing at all. It's just what's going on in my house right now, just only place I can preach this. Anyway, hey, listen, last week, as we continue in our series in the Gospel of John, last week we contrasted two different types of people that we find In the life of a church, we find that there are functional atheists, but there's also some faithful Andrews in the life of each and every church. A faithful Andrew is someone who brings people to Jesus, whereas a functional atheist is defined by functional atheism. That is this. It's when a believer knows the gospel is true, know that people are living and dying apart from Christ, yet he or she functions in their day-to-day life as if such truths are inconsequential, as if such facts have no effect on their day-to-day relationships and lives. I I believe this, that many of us, in fact, 
most of us, we don't want to have anything to do with being a functional atheist. But here's where many of us are. You ready? But we struggle. We struggle being faithful Andrews who bring people to Jesus. So last week, we launched our Who's Your One campaign in this hope of identifying our one, the person close to us who is far from God, identifying our one, praying for them, and getting to them the gospel. You took ping pong balls that are still in the seats of Sharpie. You wrote their name down, and you placed it in the Who's Your One wall so that every Sunday we come in together, we remember to pray for your one, and we remember the challenge to win our one to Jesus. Who's your one? So that maybe collectively, together as a church, you and I, could experience what it is to be a faithful Andrew. Well, today we continue on in our study of the Gospel of John. And here's what we find. We find Jesus continuing to build his team. He's recruiting. Last week it was Andrew and John and Peter. This week he continues his recruiting in the text with Philip and Nathaniel. So we pick back up in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 43. Hey, by the way, Eight sermons in, still in chapter one. Here we go. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, two words, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, all from the same hometown. The the next day, let, let me give some context here. This is two days after Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. It is the following day to the day where Andrew and John spent the day with Jesus, and Andrew would go and bring Peter to Jesus. So this is the next day. You see, Jesus on this next day invites Philip to be his disciple with two words. Follow me. In the Greek language, this phrasing, follow me, speaks of a continuous action, a continuing to follow after Jesus. I love it. I heard it said this way. Jesus was not calling short-term followers, but lifelong disciples. Hey, by the way, Jesus still extends the invitation to follow me. And church, I'm going to tell you, he's not looking for short-term followers, He's looking for you and I to be long-term disciples. Following Jesus with our lives. That's the invitation of today. Jesus would say to Philip, follow me. Now, what's Philip's answer to such an invitation? Watch this in verse 45. The Bible says that Philip found Nathaniel. Wait, wait a second. We didn't even get a solid yes out of this. And now we see Philip going and finding Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Hey, apparently Philip's in. Philip's following Jesus. And it's amazing to me his first response, and that is to go find Nathanael, seemingly his one. To say, hey, Nathanael, I have found Jesus. And I love watching what Philip does here. He begins to work to connect Jesus to Nathanael's faith, for he was a Jew. Philip connected Jesus to his Judaism and correctly tied Jesus to the hundreds of Old Testament verses concerning his coming as Messiah, uh, as Messiah, Savior, and King. He connects the dots. 
for Nathaniel. I use a book in my study. I use many books in my study uh, in, in, in studying for the message. And one is authored by J.C. Ryle and it's simply called The Gospel of John. And he speaks of verse 45, this moment where, where Philip begins to connect the dots to Nathaniel about all the Old Testament has to say about Jesus. And this is what he wrote. Now, this is going to be three slides long, so... Everybody in with me? All right, check on your neighbor. Make sure we're good. Let's go. Right here it is. Christ is the sum and substance of the Old Testament. To him, the earliest promises pointed in the days of Adam and of Enoch and of Noah and of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. To him, every sacrifice pointed in the ceremony of worship appointed at Mount Sinai. Of him, every high priest was a type, and every part of the tabernacle was a shadow, and every judge and deliverer of Israel was a figure. He was the prophet like unto Moses, whom the Lord God, God promised to send, and the king of the house of David, who came to be David's Lord as well as son. He was the son of a virgin and the lamb foretold by Isaiah, the righteous branch mentioned by Jeremiah, the true shepherd foreseen by Ezekiel, the messenger of the covenant promised by Malachi, and the Messiah who, according to Daniel, was to be cut off, though not for himself. Listen to this. The further we read in the volume of the Old Testament, the clearer we find the testimony about Christ, the light which the inspired writers enjoyed in the ancient days was at best but dim compared to that of the gospel. But the coming person they all saw afar off and of whom they all fixed their eyes was the one and the same. The spirit which was in them testified that it is Jesus, the Christ. You see, Philip was helping Nathaniel connect the dots of who Jesus was. What a compelling case Philip is making to his one Nathaniel about Jesus. But, but, Philip's excitement was met with Nathaniel's skepticism. Watch this in verse 46. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. You see the skepticisms? It's like if you went up to somebody and said, hey, where are you from? They said, Alabama. Alabama! Can anything good? Or Newport. No, I'm kidding. We're not going there. Listen, no, we love our Newport people. We love, and those watching online, we love you. But you know what? It's, it's pretty easy for people to look down on people from somewhere else. And that's exactly what was taking place in Jesus' day and in Israel. Nazareth and Galilee, man, I've been there. In that day, it was seen as a dark, lowly, less than kind of place filled with lowly and less than kind of people. Hey, but church, can I remind you? Oh, what God can do in dark and lowly and less than kind of place. Hey, what God can do with lowly and less than kind of people. But hear me, Nathaniel wasn't convinced. He was skeptical. How would Philip navigate the skepticism of his one? How do you and I deal with a one that God has put on our heart and yet they are a skeptic? You see, here's what we find Philip doing. We find Philip answering Nathaniel's skepticism with a simple invitation in the latter part of verse 46. Come and see. To the skeptic in the room today, the simple invitation I give is to come and to see Jesus. 
I love it. All the skepticism of Nathaniel. Jesus, Philip says, and I raise you a simple invitation to come and see. I want us to remember this. If the one that God has placed on our hearts and our lives is a skeptic, be reminded we live in a world full of skepticism. But how do we still win our one? Here's a couple things I want to show you. Number one, winning a skeptical one, you got to know this, you don't go it alone. You don't ever go it alone. Pray for the skeptic. Pray for them. Pray over them. Ask the Lord to go before you, to stand beside you, to work through you, and to go in behind you each and every time you interact with your one. Remember this. It is Jesus' job to save. It's our job to serve and to, and to seek and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And remember this. Remember the promise Jesus made each one of us at the end of his great commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Watch this. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You don't go it alone when you engage even a skeptical one. And by the way, you don't go it alone even if and especially when a person is skeptical about Jesus. You don't go it alone. Here's the second thing. You ready? Winning a skeptical one. Love the skeptic. Love the skeptic. In Matthew chapter 22, verse, that should say 39, the simple command of Christ is love your neighbor Hey, by the way, love your neighbor doesn't mean just loving your believing neighbor, but your unbelieving neighbor as well. That means you love your saved neighbor and your skeptical neighbor. When we love people in church, we've got to catch this. When we love people, we earn the right to speak the truth to them and to share the gospel with them. We get this backwards. We wish that all the gospel was and sharing the gospel was just shouting at people who do not believe like we do, and yet Jesus teaches us, no, it's about loving and earning the right to speak truth and to share the gospel with them. Love the skeptic. Here's the third one. This is hard for us too, and that is cherish questions and engage in conversations. Hey, we live in a culture, don't we? Or seemingly no one can handle someone who thinks differently than they do, believes differently, or lives differently than them. Instead of conversation, we, we criticize. Instead of serving one another, we are shouting at each other. Instead of dialogue, we demonize. Hey, and by the way, this doesn't just happen on college campuses with, with snowflakes. This happens with saints in the church as well, just so you know. It's found everywhere. We're afraid of questions and conversation. So here's a simple challenge. You ready? Play catch with the skeptic. Play catch. Do you like my football? You know what this looks like to me? Eight no. Just so you know. Looks like eight no. Looks like a team that ought to be number two in the nation, but ESPN loves Ohio State. Although they only beat one ranked opponent, we've beaten five. Anyway, this is what this looks like. Hey, I love playing catch with my kids. We go out in the yard, and playing catch is fun because here's what happens. 
And you take the ball and you give the ball to somebody else. You play catch with them. And here's what happens. When you receive the ball, you move your body to catch it. You take time to reposition your hand on the ball so you can give it a good throw. And you also reposition your footing in order to make the throw that you want to make to play catch with somebody else. Let me tell you what catch doesn't look like. You ready? It doesn't look like you holding on to the ball the entire time. It's called being a ball hog. You know what? Conversations are exactly the same. You don't have a, a conversation if you're the only one talking. You see, conversations allow us to understand people's hang-ups, what they believe. Now, if all we do is dominate the conversation, hold on to the ball with our own beliefs, how will we know how to relate the gospel of Jesus Christ and the character of God to them personally? So church, play catch with the skeptic. Play catch with them. Dwight, you ready? Can you hold this for me? Thank you, sir. Play catch. Dwight's not a skeptic. He's a believer. I just need him to hold the ball for me for the rest of the time. Let me tell you something about playing catch, and let me just encourage you. When you have a one who's close to you but far from God, let me tell you what you ought to do. You ought to buy him a book, and you ought to buy him some coffee. You ought to say, hey, listen, I got you something. How about for... For a morning every week, let's go do coffee. I'll buy you some coffee. Why don't we read through, through this book together? Maybe a chapter or two a week, book like More Than a Carpenter from the McDowell's, which really gives an incredible apologetic of Jesus. I love Timothy Keller. His book, The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism. How about Timothy Keller's book, Making Sense of God, and say, hey, listen, man, why don't we just come to the table, engage in conversation, and let's talk more about Jesus together. You see, church, we don't get mad at those who are skeptical. We don't even get mad at their unwillingness or even their hard-heartedness towards Jesus. You ready? Don't get mad. Stay motivated. Because gospel conversations such as these go around the rim of someone's life. And as you go around the rim of someone's life, you find broken places, broken parts of their story. And it's there that we begin to fill in those broken places with the hope of the gospel. Cherish questions and engage in conversations. And here's lastly, invite them to take an honest look at Jesus. In other words, you ready? Invite your skeptical one. Hey, come and see. Come and see Jesus. Tell them who Jesus is, as Philip did with Nathaniel. Invite them to, to earnestly, to honestly, to investigate Jesus. Invite them to approach Jesus honestly, and even as they do, even if they do so skeptically. I usually say to them, hey, listen, I want to triple dog dare you to prove my faith wrong. Prove me and what I believe to be a lie. That's how confident I am in who Jesus is. Now, it might take some patience. It's going to take some time and understanding. It could take days, 
even decades to love a skeptical one to Jesus. And you might have to put a little elbow grease in it, elbow grease that consists of prayer and reading and studying the Bible, loving people, and you continuing to follow Jesus, but put the elbow grease into it. Remember this, sharing the gospel isn't telling someone how good your church is, but telling someone how good your Jesus is. Come and see is not just an invitation to a church. Come and see is an invitation for people to see, to see Jesus. Well, Nathaniel, the skeptic, makes an honest effort, a seemingly honest effort, to come and see Jesus. We see this played out in verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, listen to what he says. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. This is an interesting play on words that Jesus does here. You see, the father of all Israelites is Jacob in the Bible whose name means grabber or deceiver. Jacob was known to dabble in deceit. Just ask his brother Esau, Father Isaac, right? But you see, Jacob had a wrestling match with God in Genesis chapter 29. God would change Jacob's name to Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. So now, back to the text. Here we have a descendant of Jacob, Nathaniel, the Israelite, who did not dabble with deceit according to Jesus, but wrestled with both doubt and skepticism of the claims that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. And yet he seems taken back here in the text. Taken back by this assessment of Jesus. Considering this, they had never met before. Watch what happens here. Nathaniel speaking. How, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked, Jesus answered, watch this, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, I want to share something with you that's pretty obvious. It doesn't take anything supernatural to see anybody sitting under a tree anywhere. But here's what the text begins to share with us. That there was a fig tree in play. There's more here. You see, Jesus seems to master time and space and awareness. To our knowledge, and as far as Nathaniel's concerned, Jesus wasn't physically in the vicinity of a fig tree or of Nathaniel. Yet he saw him. Only God can do that. Jesus wasn't with Philip when Philip engaged Nathaniel in a conversation of come and see. And yet Jesus heard the conversation and he wasn't there. Only God can do that. You see, we begin to see something coming from Jesus that is different. Nathaniel never met Jesus. And yet Jesus says, I know you. Jesus seemingly knows the heaviness of his heart and the thoughts in his mind. But wait a second. Only God is omniscient, meaning only God is all-knowing. Could it be 
that Jesus saw Nathanael and knew Nathanael under that fig tree? Could it be, even to the skeptic, could it be that Jesus is God? How did he know? How could he have seen? I want you to watch this clip from a series called The Chosen. We watched this this past season, and it does a good job connecting some of these dots. Uh, you see, they, they have to use a little creative license because the gospel doesn't tell us everything about everybody. And so they have Nathaniel's an architect whose success is going to his head that was until a roof on one of his projects collapsed. And there he was fired on the spot, his livelihood taken from him. And so you know what Nathaniel does? He heads out into the wilderness to a fig tree. Take a look at the screen if you would. And you see it was, it was under this fig tree that Jesus would tell Nathaniel, I saw you. I saw you in the Old Testament. There's a name of God that I love. It's El Roy. And it means this in the Hebrew language, the God who sees me. The God who sees me. You see, Nathaniel's skepticism seemed to vanish because Jesus saw him. I bet under that fig tree, Nathaniel must have felt alone, unnoticed by the world, uncared for by anyone while under that tree. And yet Jesus said to him, I saw you. By seeing him, I, I care for you. That you have not gone unnoticed or uncared for by me. And we see that yet even the strongest skeptic is seen by God and such knowledge helped Nathaniel to see God in Jesus Christ. And so you know what happens? You and I must help our skeptical one to know that God sees them and to help them see God through Jesus. Hey, by the way, does this fig tree look familiar to you? You sat under that tree, hadn't you? I have. When life happens, when questions of God and questions of faith, when, when your life seems to crumble and be in pieces, you sat under there, haven't you? You've wondered at times in your life, does anybody see me? Does, does anybody care? Does anybody love me? That tree looks too familiar to me. And yet the message of the gospel is that as a believer in Christ, he saw you when you sat there. He sees you now and you will always be seen by Jesus. El Roy, the God who sees me. The fact that Jesus saw Nathaniel meant that now Nathaniel sees Jesus as he is.
Watch this play out in Scripture. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He added, verily, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I love this title. Jesus' favorite self-designation in Scripture is the Son of Man. From Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. You know what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel? That the promised Savior and King of Israel, it's me. It's me. This imagery of angels ascending and and descending. This imagery was very familiar with Nathaniel. You see, it was imagery he was taught as a child. In reference, it's to Jacob's dream in Genesis 28, verse 12, a, a dream in which Jacob saw a ladder between heaven and earth and angels ascending and descending on. And watch what Jesus does. He connects to the dots for Nathaniel the Israelite, this descendant of Jacob, that Jesus is the one mediator between God and man, according to 1 Timothy 2, 5, that Jesus is the mediator between heaven and earth. You ready? That Jesus is Jacob's dream come true true Jacob's dream in the flesh church Philip invited Nathaniel a skeptic at that to come and to see Jesus and Nathaniel did just that Jesus saw Nathaniel Jesus sees you And Jesus sees your one. Watch how the chosen plays the rest of this text out. Take a look at the screens. Philip invited his one, a skeptical one, to come and to see Jesus. And he did. And the skeptic was sold on who Jesus is. And what Jesus would do with his life. I sent out an email this last week to our church family and friends. And I talked about this campaign of Who's Your One. A local principal by the name of Kevin Hurst reached out to me. And Kevin was um, assistant principal at Sevier County High School for many years. Has transferred to another school as the principal. Man, a a dear friend. Was one of my coaches back in the football days. and I, I love Brother Kevin. And he, and he reached out to me this week and said, hey, Brother Anthony, did you, did you see, have you ever seen that testimony on the wall of my office? I said, I'll, I'll be honest, Kevin, I, I never noticed it. He said, well, I, I'm going to send it to you. It's Jameson's testimony. It was a testimony written out by one of his students, a senior in high school, who was on the wrestling team. Back in 2007, uh, Pastor Zach went to school Jameson. They were there at the same time. My, my brother Dominic went to school with Jameson. And his testimony hangs on Kevin's wall. Now I'm going to read it to you as Jameson texted and typed it out. Now, there's a word in here that I don't typically use on a Sunday morning, but in his testimony, feels really good to say, okay? So just so you know going in. But here's the testimony of a 17-year-old boy, a Nathaniel by the name of Jameson. Okay, so, my buddy on the wrestling team, Trevor, 
asked me after wrestling practice if I wanted to go to church with him. I really didn't know if I wanted to because I've never really liked church and I've never accepted God. He got me to go with him. It was pretty fun. We played music and sang and stuff. But anyways, I never really thought anything of it. I thought Trevor was going to take me home and I'd just go to bed. But watch this. But we pulled in my driveway and we got to talking about salvation. I had huge doubts. Listen to the skepticism about God and certain disbeliefs. Jameson was a skeptic. And yet Trevor talked me through my troubles with God and helped me realize my conviction. I thought to myself for about 10 minutes and realized that I can accept God into my heart. We both prayed and I felt ecstatic. I feel incredible. I feel like a new person. It's freaking awesome. I'm saved. A teenaged Andrew a teenage Philip found his one in Jameson. A skeptic at that and brought him to Jesus. Jameson, come and see. You see, this happened two weeks before Jameson was out Allensville Road jumping off a rock into Douglas Lake and never again to resurface. And the 17-year-old boy, Jameson, died that day, just two weeks later. And you know what? What is a tragic and devastating moment Jesus redeemed. Jesus brought something beautiful out of why? Because just a couple weeks earlier, an Andrew, a Philip, Trevor found his one in Jameson and loved him enough to share the gospel with him. And even as we speak today, Jameson is in heaven with Jesus where he is whole and well. Thank God for the Andrew, the Philip that Trevor was in his life. And I'm so glad Trevor's daddy, Jameson's daddy, Allow me to use his story today. Because it allows me to ask you this question. Who's your one? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.